What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Eastern Current. Um, excited about this one. We've got a really great guest, um, a local guy that does a lot of the same stuff I do. So we've got a lot in common. We're going to have a lot to talk about. And uh, we've been trying. We've been talking for months about doing a podcast together. And we just, it, I'm, it, I'm always like, because we, we talk and communicate on social media enough. I've, uh, I'll be like, hey, can you do one tomorrow? Like, And then we end up, it falls through and we finally made it work out. So um, excited about this one. We were just talking beforehand, honestly. I'm going to be honest with y'all. We were like, what should we talk about? What are we going to talk about? we got a lot of options. And and Perry's like, let's talk about flood tides. And I, I'm excited. We haven't done anything that just focuses on flood tides yet. And uh, th- I think this will be a great guest to talk about it. Um, he does a lot of flood tide fishing, focuses a lot on the site fishing up there um, north of us um, on the North Carolina coast. And uh, they got a bunch of great Spartinagrass flats up there, Spartinagrass, whatever you want to call it. Um, and he does a lot of flood tide fishing, more than myself. Um, and so he's just a great wealth of knowledge and a resource to talk to about that. But before I introduce him, I'm going to go through the pre-show stuff real quick. If you love this podcast, I'm just going to say it real quick. Go check out our Patreon page. Um, you can do 5 or $10 a month donations. that really just helps support us and the time we invest in this um, to give you all a good finished product and uh, some fishing knowledge to hopefully help you all get on the water and catch more fish. Um, it's just a huge blessing. To us and helps us pay for the back end and um, and all that. And the other thing is go check out our private Facebook group on Facebook. It's Eastern Current Fishing. Um, that's just a resource for y'all to be able to connect with other listeners and hopefully get out in the water with them. Um, but enough of me rambling. Here is our special, special guest, Perry McDougal. What's going on, man? You, brother. You. What's up with you? <laughs> oh, nothing much. I think we're both just kind of hunkered down today, staying out of this weather. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wet out there. I moved all the flowers and everything in yesterday, and tucked the skiff in the garage, and left the cars outside. So my wife loves me for that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, uh, <laughs> I I've uh, got a two car garage, but oftentimes I end up parking something in front of it. My wife, it's always on a cold day or a rainy day or something like that, and she can't get her car in there. And I'm like, oh crap, sorry. <laughs> she comes in the front door all hey. soaking wet, but you know what can you do? Hey, I keep the old square body and the skiff in the garage. Her car can sit outside for one day. It's all right. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, well, cool, man. Well, yeah, so where exactly are you located? Um, where do you live in North Carolina? I, I know where you fish, so, but like, what is home base for you? So home base is um, Cape Carteret, so gotcha. Carteret County, yep. or right here on the edge of Onslow and Carteret County. So if you're familiar with the Swansboro area, uh, Cedar Point, Cape Carteret, yep. that's that's home for me. Okay. Sweet. Um, so give us a little bit before we kind of dive into the topic of the day, give us a little bit of your backstory, kind of how you got into fishing, uh, where you grew up and then how it came to like, Hey, I'm going to make my living fishing. Sure. Uh, long story short, I guess I grew up actually outside of Raleigh in Pukeway. Um, and then when I went to college at Appalachian state, um, that's kind of really where I got into fly fishing. I've been fishing my whole life. You know, my dad, my stepdad were big anglers grew up the summers basically down here in Swansboro. And when I went to school at App State, that's where I just really fell in love with fishing in general. Yeah. Um, and then after college, I moved out west to Colorado and worked at a shop and guided out there for a bit, which was a huge influence on my life. Um, it's where I met a lot of people. It's where I met my wife, um, a lot of my best friends. And that was a, a great part of my life that I really treasure. And then from Colorado, moved to Savannah, Georgia, and that's kind of where the saltwater fly fishing for me took over. Yeah. And then um, had some family issues happen that called me back home here to uh, 
Cape Carteret, and I've been here for the last seven years permanently, I guess. Um, my wife and I opened a business here. I started guiding, and that's just where I'm at now. That right is on. the most brief story I can give. For yeah, you. that's a good <laughs> that's a good bullet point uh, story there, man. I kind of get a good full view of, of, of everything. So um, I feel like sometimes I'll ask that question, and it ends up, half the podcast flows off of it but that was a good good bullet point it gives us lots of time or a good good way to get to know you and lots of time to talk about flood tide fishing so yeah. uh, that's cool i didn't know you were in savannah i didn't know you're out in colorado see I, that's what i love about this podcast is I, I get to know more about people i don't know as well as people that i've considered my friends that i don't really know well enough so it's uh it's exciting to to get your story a little bit but how long were you in savannah for yeah i was only in savannah for a little less than a year okay. just because the family stuff my um my stepdad got sick, so that's why we came home. Gotcha. And I was working down there at Rivers and Glen with Chad. Yeah. Um, if, Chad's, if Chad's checking the show out, what's up, man? Chad's actually <laughs> recording a podcast with me this evening. Small yeah. world. Yeah. I said, hey. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> that's funny. Chad is yeah, always a I... small world guy for me. I met him. I I was guiding out in Montana right when I got out there. Um, I met this guy. He's like, oh, yeah, you can rent my – my guy that's renting my garage apartment is moving out, so you can you can come over there. Come check it out today and see if you like it. So I met him in Missoula, Montana in this, like, tiny little garage apartment in somebody's backyard. That's that's how I first met Chad. And then it's always, like, weird little connections like this where Chad comes yeah. up. So <laughs> He's a uh, he's a cool dude, man. He's Super he's good cool. company. So He is good company. He's, uh, he's fished a lot of areas and very wise. He's got a really cool dog too. Y'all should uh, go check out his his dog's Instagram page, the legless dog. <laughs> oh god. Uh, heck, that was um that was George's pup. Yeah. And uh god, what's this I'm sorry, Chad. This is terrible. What's that dog's name now? It is uh hold on, it's going to come to me. Hey, Hannah, what's Chad's dog's name? She must have her AirPods in. It is uh, sorry, um, sorry, sorry, Chad. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll let y'all know on this evening's podcast that we record. But, yeah, um, there you go. But yeah, super cool dog. They got a cool little cart built for it. it can run around with uh, without yeah. any front legs. But um, well, cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about flood tide fishing. It's uh, it's yeah, it's something that's very unique um, to you know a certain region of the East Coast, and uh, some places have it, and some places don't. And it, I remember the first time I flood tide fished was. Let me switch over here. I think in late middle school, and it was uh, at Topsail Beach. Didn't have a skiff or anything like that. I just kind of heard a little bit about flood tide fishing and like what you looked for. And I ran across to my parents' house in a bay boat and just pulled it up on the bank and started walking through the marsh. And it was like tailing redfish right there. And mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, back then it was silly. It was so easy to go find tailing redfish. I had no clue what I was doing. I could go fish a tiny little flat that I could walk, and I'd have like 10, 12 shots. Um, and now down here, man, it's like I'll fish lots of flats in a tide, and it gets tough. And I feel like y'all have a little bit more action, um, or a lot more action as far as tailing redfish go than we do down here, at least now. You know, it, yes and no. Um, a lot of the flats we deal with, you know, it's kind of like what you're talking about. They're, they're smaller, quick little flats, and sure, we've got some good-sized ones too. Um but the thing for us is, yeah, I mean, even since I've started guiding, you've noticed a big difference in, you know, you go out and you've got a half dozen or six to ten fish on this flat, and maybe there's four over on that other one, and you, you have epic days like what you were talking about. Yeah. And it has. It's it's definitely gotten a bit more pressure, and you're starting to get to the point where you're like, oh, man, there's two on this and one on that. But luckily, they're all kind of right there together, so you can yeah. ping pong back and forth on flats and make, make the good morning or evening out of it um definitely 
typically when those floods are. But yeah, it's uh, it's getting to be a little bit more pressured. Um, so we kind of keep it as a valued resource, and yeah, everybody's got their little secrets, of course. Definitely, so. definitely, it's a, it's a, it's just such a cool way to fish. And and when when oh, you yeah. flood tide fish, it's not about like. Can I, I want to go catch numbers. I want to go catch 15 fish. Right. It's about the scenario, you know, a beautiful calm morning or evening, a fish tailing in front of you and Spartina grass, crabs and periwinkles and all the things you see out there that are just different from like your normal day of like red fishing. It's just a cool way to, uh, to do it. And so it's, if, if you're worried about numbers, it's not your thing, you know? Yeah. It's, and even if you see a hundred fish, you're not going to have a numbers day really. It's yeah. about, it's, no, it's about the, the intimate moments. That's right. It's it's totally not a numbers game. It's more that experience and that stalk, and I see that fish tail and the approach and how we're going to cast to that fish, and, well, maybe we blew it out or maybe it just didn't eat. It, it's more of a hunt than it is just numbers, yeah. and that's that's what it's about, man. It's the whole experience, like what you're saying, and just enjoying that moment, and that's that's what it's really all about. Definitely. Well, for those, a lot of y'all probably know that are listening what a flood tide is, but why don't you take people and kind of tell them, explain what a flood tide is, what causes a flood tide, um, and kind of start at the beginning so we can kind of lay out kind of the scenario of, of what a evening or morning of flood tide fishing would look like. Sure. So flood tides, um, king tides, people will call them that. Uh, it's totally based off the lunar phase. Um, everything in salt water is controlled by, of course, tide. And so each area has a different magic number that'll flood their grass areas. And I'm not talking just high tide where the water's up on the grass. I'm talking those areas that are normally hard, dry ground that once that extra few inches or foot or foot and a half of water comes in, that it floods that area where those fish can get in there and feed on those fiddlers. Um, so for us, you know, we, we've got a little bit smaller tide than you guys do down there. So once we hit our magic number, we start checking all these spots. And, you know, you look at full moons, new moons, things like that on those lunar cycles. And there are apps out there these days. You can check the tide cycles and see when it's going to hit. And it's pretty much you find the dates that are going to work. And hopefully you've got good weather. And you're going to go and, of course, go to your spots. And I like to get there a little bit early just so you don't miss it. So you can pull up to a flat. And the key to kind of think about that is don't block the entrance, like where these highways of fish are going to come in at, like just stay off that. Yeah. Very important. Um, you'll, you don't want to spook these fish before they even get the chance to get up on there. But um, yeah, the, the floods are totally based on the lunar cycle. And once it hits that high number, these fish will get way up in the grass and feed on these snails and fiddler crabs and everything like that. And that's where you see that typical image of face down, tail up, just wagon happy fish feeding. Yeah. Uh, I that's think that's the basic gist of a flood tide. <laughs> yeah, that's that that was really good. I was I was kind of a tough question, but that, that was beautiful. I think that uh, you know, so many people think when you're sight fishing, oh, once you've seen the fish, like, oh, that's a caught fish. But man, that's not true, and it's definitely not true in the grass. Like you could go see a lot of tails in a night yeah. and uh and not not uh, come home lucky. I'm going to throw my old roommate under the bus, good friend from growing up. He lived with me for a few years here in Wilmington. His name's Tommy Sade. Tommy, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry for throwing you under the bus, but we had, he's already laughing, I'm sure, if he's listening to it. But um, we had a day, small little flat. I mean, a small little flat. And this was up in the, the Topsville Beach area. And got onto this flat, set kind of, there's a lot. So this flat, the nice thing about it, it wasn't there was one entrance. It's one of those like, you know, edge of a small bay 
where there's a lot of room for fish to get up in the grass. So we just kind of pulled up on a section of it. We're sitting there, um, sitting there hanging out. And from there, from the boat, just sitting, hanging out, waiting for the water to grow, we already see a fish tailing. So we pulled that fish. And he had never caught a redfish on the fly rod. Really, or he's never caught a tailing redfish on the fly rod. He's caught redfish on the fly rod. Um, and so we pull up to that fish. I'm like, dude, this is perfect. I mean, this was given to us already. We're not even doing anything, and this fish starts tailing beside us. And he blows that shot. And then from there, we see another one. Pull to that fish, blows yeah. that shot. We ended up having like 25 or 30 shots on this one. Lordy. One small flat. And what it was, I guess the barometric pressure was right and everything. It's a pretty small little bay. And there's lots of there were there was a nice school of redfish in there at this point, and so pretty much the, that whole school of redfish had just pushed up and spread out on this grass flat is what it felt like it happened, um, and it was one of the, probably the best days I've ever had as far as like happy tailing fish and lots of shots, nice. and we didn't catch a single fish, uh, and he's a good fly angler and he had good shots, but it's just, it's a <laughs> tough freaking game. It's a really really tough game, um, but let's talk a little bit about access like i was talking about yep. and you said don't block the access like mm-hmm. um what makes a flat look good to you as you're looking at you know a, a flood type flat so you're going to down so, to mcclellansville and you've never fished down there in, in south Carolina. you're like looking on google earth what are you looking for so if i'm looking for something it, it's a little different for me looking on google earth than it is in real life yeah um but if you're on the computer which a lot of people will scout areas on google earth these days i'm looking for those light patchy areas near a highway or an open section of water. Easy access for these fish to come in and go out. That's what they want. They want to be able to go in or get out if need be. Um, So I'll be looking for kind of those light patchy areas. Um, Obviously something that looks shallow on the map. But if it's me out there actually physically on the water looking, the key for me is I'm not just looking for a flooded grass area. I'm looking for what the bottom's like. Because, you know, you get a lot of these pluff mud areas where it's just tall Spartina grass. And sure, it floods, but that's not exactly what I'm looking for. Right. I'm right. looking at for hard, firm bottom. Um, a good key for that is all the little holes from the fiddlers that burrow into it. That's a good key for me. Definitely. But normally, it's hard, firm bottom, but short grass. And when that floods up, that just means the tip of that grass is going to be sticking out. And that's where that hard bottom is for all those fiddlers to burrow in and those fish to get up and just basically have the dinner buffet. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you were talking about a lot of the times there's areas off big bays or a deep creek that winds in for when it floods up. It'll kind of flood the side areas to it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that hard bottom and short grass is a key for me to look for. Definitely. Yeah, I think – I mean, I've probably caught a few fish over those, like, tall grass, pluff mud areas yeah. earlier late, but that's not what – I'm the same way. I'm not looking for that. Yeah. That's like you pull through that when you're getting to the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying they're not there, but yeah. I'll look at it, but that's not my prime target area. Yeah, definitely. And for us down here, man, a lot of it happens around, um, you know, you get the islands in the marsh with trees on them, and mm-hmm. you get the edges of that where that hard – it becomes from pluff mud to that hard bank, and the fiddlers are along yep. there. And a great thing to do, man, like you're saying, looking, you know, not on Google Earth, but if you just get out in those areas and walk on a low tide, like if you got a mid tide and you can get back there and get on those islands and just walk from from like little bushy area of trees to the next bushy area of trees, and just keep in mind where the concentration of those those fiddler crabs are, because that's where those fish yep. are going to tail. And they're not only going to eat those fiddler crabs when they're up there, but that's why no. they're there. That's why they're there. Yeah, they're, they're opportunistic. That's their big protein diet. Definitely. Big protein diet. Something different. 
You know, if I was eating mud minnows every other day of the week and all of a sudden someone's like, hey, you want some lobster? You know, I'm going to slide up there and eat some lobster. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me get that Kobe steak you got yeah. right there. That looks good. Exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> what, uh, what time of year, what water temperatures do you usually see this happening? So, you know, as we were talking earlier, and it was about this time last year that I caught my first tailor. And we've started seeing some in the grass already, but they're not tailing. They're just laid up, yeah. um, just kind of getting away from any predators or anything like that, or chasing food, but not actively tailing. The water's still a little bit cool. I'd say a couple weeks ago, we hit that nice temperature. I think we read some inshore waters around 68 degrees, which was mm-hmm. great. Um, but it's cooled down a little bit with this little cold stint that we've had. Um, but really, once I start hitting that 65, 68 degree water, I'm going to start looking. Now, that's not a guarantee. You know, of course, the warmer it gets, the more productive it is. Right. Um, this is more of a, a summer and late summer, early fall type thing. So springtime, it's all dependent upon that water temp and how the weather is. Yeah. Um, so we're getting to that starting point now and really – it's just riding those shallow areas and looking and saying, hey, are we seeing fiddlers? Um, are there food sources out there? What are what are the tides doing? Is it even the right timing? Because we're still getting floods, but, man, they're at, like, midnight and 5 a.m., all this these weird hours. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully they'll start lining up here soon. Have um, you have you ever heard any rumors of guys going out in, the like, nighttime floods? Or have you done this yourself, like, at night on a full moon and caught tailing redfish? Uh, you know, I've struggled with the full moon aspect of it, mostly on my early morning uh, floods, just because they're up there, I guess, on those flats eating all night. Um, but no, I, I generally don't go out and spotlight tailors. I, I haven't either, but it's always been something I'm like, got to do that one day. Go try, catch one at yeah. night when the lights out. But um, right on. So the access points i think is is important to talk about too when it comes to you know finding a productive flat like yes there's a lot of spots just like i mean in north carolina i say this that, well this time of year what i say is not this time of year winter time i say 90% of the fish are in 2% of the water um, and north carolina in general just because we're so behind on our freaking conservation efforts and are, are managing our resources correctly we just don't have we still have a great red fisher but we don't have what we should have um, yeah, and so I always say too, like you know, thirty-five percent of the fish are in. You know, I'm, I'm getting the percentages wrong. There, there's a lot of good-looking stuff to fish that doesn't have fish in it. So just because sure. there's fiddler crabs on a flat doesn't necessarily mean that that's maybe the best spot to go fish. The other big, big part of it is access for those fish, like you're saying, to come on and off. Um, and for me, what I'm looking for is multiple creeks, like or a creek yep. with a lot of fingers off of it going up to a flat. Or bay or along the waterway. Is that kind of the same deal up there? Because I know you've got a lot of different – your marsh layouts can be a little different than what we see here. They, they can be, and they can be similar depending on where you're fishing. Um, you know, for our area, we've got, of course, mainland side, and then we've got a lot of middle marsh. Yeah. Um, so what I mean by middle marsh is you've got the beaches, and then behind the beach you've got marsh and then ICW. Mm-hmm. And a little bit more marsh on the mainland side, and then, of course, the tree line. Yeah. And depending on areas, you know, everywhere, basically from Moorhead City down to Wilmington, it's a similar concept where the yeah. ICW comes. Um, but yeah, access, just like what you're saying, multiple ins and outs. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of key, just so these fish have got a way to enter or exit these flats. Um, deep water access is a good one, too. And so you can have a real shallow 
creek that may have some fingers run off of it, but maybe it's not the best tail and flat just because even as that tide drops, there's not water for these fish to escape and dip down and ride out. Yeah. Um, the tide, I mean, the tide's a highway for them. They, they ride with it. So yeah, definitely. Um, do you feel like there's a perfect depth that you really like to see on the flat? Like if you're pulling a larger flat, is there a certain depth you like to stay in and where the fish are going to be tailing or no? Yeah. I mean, there's, there is a point to where floods will be too much water for tailors. And then it's just the fish are on the grass, but even if they're tailing, you're not seeing them. Right. Um, and so, like I said earlier, that's a little different depending on the area on what your tide height is. Um, for us, you know, a two and a half foot tides, a normal high tide for us. So that's pretty low compared to a lot of places. Um, so once we kind of get over that mark and, you know, the, between that two and a half to three feet to where there's, let's call it anywhere from eight inches to a foot and a half of water on the flats, uh-huh. that's, I like to see, um, right you know, you get in these little technical skiffs like your boat, my boat, all these skiffs, um, you know, realistically you can push these things through six to eight inches of water, even with grass grabbing the bottom of the boat. So the fish Sucks, will be up but yeah <laughs> you can do it right but if you get that you know just a basic even a foot of water on a flat that's it makes it easy to push the boat that makes yep. it easy for the fish to tail and they have good access to get there and you can still see them tailing yeah because you know you get if you get a foot and a half or two feet of water up on a flat and you've got a mid-slot fish um you know you can catch some big fish tailing but let's just say most of your tailing fish are between that 20 to 24, 25 inches, you know, mid to close to upper slot. They're not straight up. They're diagonal at an angle. So their tail can be totally covered and you not even know they're there. Um, so I, I like to have about a foot. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly. No, I'm with you. I'm, I'm in that same range. 10, 12 inches is what I really like. Uh, and the other thing too, that, that I feel like as a, you know, if you're first starting out trying to get up there and look in the grass for fish is, a lot of times at first, like the first couple times I went, I was just looking for like a big tail sticking out of the water. Yeah. Um, nah. <laughs> and you can catch fish that aren't tailing. You can catch fish that are laid up. You can, I mean, a lot of yep. times they'll be slow. If it's real shallow, sometimes their back will be out of the water, even mm-hmm. in the grass. And, um, and just going slowly through an area and looking for any type of disturbance. Sometimes they're just tipping is what I call it. Where like just the yep. very tip of the tail is sticking out of the water and you've got like a little, yep. like a fingernail sliver of yep. color. And, and that's, I mean, that's all you get. And so you can look for that little glint, that gleam from the sun hitting it a little weird. Yeah. How about when the, little, sorry, the lag is making me interrupt you. What were you saying? Or maybe even just like a little patch of grass that's moving this way and then that way. And it's something just doesn't look right. So you're right. Sometimes you don't see the happy wagon tail right. of fish. Sometimes it's just boop, boop, or laid up fish that are just sitting there and, so taking your time is key. Very um, key. Yeah. How, how often do you get tricked by the piece of grass laid over with a little bit of sheen that's like connecting from the water to the grass and it's shining just right? Oh my gosh. It's kind of got that little web of foam on exactly. it like that? Nope, nope. <laughs> so last year there was a day that I saw what I thought was that. and my, I was fishing with a buddy. He's like, that's a redfish tail. Like, Dude, it hasn't moved, man. That's not, there's no way that's a redfish. And so I just kept not even looking at it. And he was still staring at it. He's like, dude, that's a redfish tail, 100%. So I pulled over there. And we're sitting there staring at it from like 12 feet. And I'm like, there's no way. That, that's not a redfish tail. And then it moves like a tiny bit and then settles back in. And he, the fish sat there for like six, seven minutes. 
mm-hmm. without moving at all with his tail just barely out of the water. And that was the first time I've ever seen one do it that long. Um, and, of course, we blew a shot at it. We did not catch that fish. But uh, it made for a cool picture. It looked like a fish we were about yeah. to catch because the tail's right there in front of the boat. But uh, that's a confession had, here on the podcast. We didn't catch them. Have you had those ones that are just like that and just sit? And you can get so close to them that you just put the rod down and just try and grab them with your hand real quick. <laughs> I've never tried to grab them with my hand. Now, have you? Have you? No. Have you touched one? Yeah, I've gotten a couple videos to where you know clients will be on the bow and you take a couple shots at it. A couple shots, you're like that fish. It's not even moving. Like we're not blowing the shot. It's just so face down in the mud and just sitting still. I'm like, all right, well, catch is a catch. Let's go try and get it with our hand. <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, you're like, hey, lay on the bow and just reach out. And you're like pulling up. And, you know, the second that you touch its tail, it's gone. Yeah. I've, I've got a couple cool videos of them where you're, it's just for fun, man. You're like, hey, let's, let's just try and catch it. Why not? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to have to start doing that. Usually I'm pissed off and I, like, shove the push pole at it or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that makes, it more, that makes it more fun. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I had a fish this past year. This was at a dead low tide down on the Cape Fear River. It was coming down a bank and then cut up this like tiny, tiny little creek. It was just like the, the leftover drain of a creek and just set like 10 feet up it. And so I was like, I mean, the creek was maybe a foot and a half wide of water left. And I'm like, I'm going to jump out with my net and scoop this fish out of this creek. Oh, yeah. And so I jumped down. I walked up to it, took my net and like put it down right in front of it. And the thing shot out, like flopped around in the mud around my net back into the water and got away. So they're hard to catch by hand, even with a net. So. If you if you get a client that ends up catching one by hand, I want to know. I want to hear about it. I want a picture too. I'll, Hold them up. I'll send you the video of us trying. But, uh, yeah, send me a video for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let, I think the next important thing to talk about, and whatever order you feel is best, is presentation, and then also like mm-hmm. what you like to throw to these fish, whether it be on a spinning rod or a fly rod. Sure. Um, we'll go fly first, just okay. and then we'll move into conventional. Um, presentation wise, it all depends on how that fish is behaving. Yeah. Um, for me, there's a couple different types of tailors. There's those ones that are just peeking up and popping constantly, just moving, and they're they're hunting, they're searching, um, and they're they're actively trying to find food. Um, and then there's the ones that are just face down, just happy, just eating, crushing crabs, just enjoying life, sitting in one spot. Um, and then there's those little tippers. Yeah. You, you barely just see anything of. Um, and for me, it's first off, it's don't get too anxious and don't cast right away. Stop. Look and see what way the fish is moving, how it's behaving. Is it swirling a lot or is it kind of moving in a straight line? Kind of get a quick game plan in your head. Um, and of course, if you're with a guide, they'll help coach you through everything too. But for me, generally, those fish, a redfish is a typically a bottom feeding fish. Um, especially when they're tailing, it's face down, tail up. So I like to get the fly pretty close. So I'm going to try and give them that, let's call it a foot past their face and then a foot behind them. So that way, by the time I cast and I get my line in my hand and I get it nice and taunt and they're going to kind of intersect at about the same time. Um, now if you make a cast and let's say it's a little bit off and it's three, four feet in front of the fish but the fish is moving that direction, just just stop. Leave it in the water. Wait, see if it's coming to you. Try not to twitch any grass or do anything to spook the fish, but when it gets near your fly, give it that slow tick-tick or that real slow bonefish crawl, depending on what fly or bait you're using, and then just hope to God he eats it, really. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> we, we show you the fish all day long. Um, it's up to them if they're going to eat. Yeah. But when those fish are tailing, I do like to get a little bit closer to them just because they are so focused on feeding. Um, now, for flop patterns and things like that, you know, typically it's a crab pattern. Um, you know, uh, quans are really great to use in the grass. Uh, if you really want to have some fun with it in the grass, you can throw gurglers too. Yeah. Uh, when in doubt, gurgle it out. Uh, <laughs> when in doubt, gurgle it out. It needs to be top, a sticker or a shirt or something. I'm sure somebody's got one out there. Yeah. But yeah, um, one of my favorites has uh, been the Lexos pop-up crab. I've really enjoyed that fly pattern for tailing fish. Um, but if you tie any of your own, really, you know, a quan is a pretty simple pattern to tie, mm. and it's pretty effective. Um, I would really encourage someone to put a weed guard on their fly, especially if you're fishing tailing fish. Um, oh, a good weed guard is going to make your time in the grass like so much more enjoyable. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So. I, I like a piece of 40 fluoro or mono, typically mono actually, um, doubled hard. over is usually what it, hard mono, uh, doubled over. So like make a little V around the front of the fly and that typically seems to do, do pretty good. So yeah, everybody's got their way to do it. Yeah. Um, just make sure it's going to be as effective as possible is really the thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I like to do something a little bit lead eyes too, something that's going to get down to that fish in front of it. Yep. Especially if your leader is kind of hung up on a little grass blade or something. I want that fly to get down in front of their face to where they're going to see it. Yeah. Um, as far as approach and things like that on traditional gear goes, uh, conventional spinning, man, you can catch them on anything from DOA shrimps to paddle tails to jerk shads. Um, top water, once again, just maybe not a skitter walk with two treble hooks in it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anything anything you can rig weedless is going to be crucial for conventional side. Definitely. Um and for that, you've got the option, too, to really just kind of bomb it a little bit past that fish. And you can maneuver your rod a little bit more and work it around that little grass blade and get it right where you want it before you give it that good little tick, 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 tick before they hammer it, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but leading the fish about a foot and a foot, foot in front and a foot past is kind of my general go-to. Um, if you get two and two, that's great. Let's work with it. But if you kind of blow it and it's way up in the distance, it's all right. Just calm down and let's see if they're going to move that direction and we can work with that cast too. You know? Yeah, definitely. I think the one thing that I share with clients that someone shared with me one time and it's always stuck with me. I can't remember who it was, but it's like in every sight fishing scenario, but especially in the grass is you really want to let them feel like they found it, found whatever mm-hmm. you're throwing. If you forced mm-hmm. in on them, they're going to spook. They're going to be, they're going to get out of there. And you really don't typically ever get a shot. Once you spook a fish in the grass, I feel like you don't really get a second yeah. shot. So, um, let no, once fish they're feel gone, like they they're generally it. gone. Yeah. yeah, you can watch the grass fold over all the way off the flat, and it's gone. <laughs> People are like, "Should we go chase that? We'll see if we can get that one again." No, watch that grass right there. See, he's, he just swam 250 yards to get off this flat after you beamed him in the head with your fly. So we're gonna let him go. <laughs> yeah, just just hope he's got a, a dumb brother or fish or something like that that's out there that wants to eat. So. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything. Can you think of anything else flood tide wise that's important to touch on? Um, we kind of went over what they're eating, where to kind of target, um, quick little presentation, I guess, on flies and traditional baits. Um, you can wade kind of like what you were talking to. That's true. Um, and if you're, if you're not in a skiff, let's say you're running solo and want to wade a flat, or if you're a kayak angler or you've just got a bigger boat that doesn't pull a flat, um, remember what you're walking on, wear right booties, uh, put, 
foot protection is key. I mean, there are shells, and the periwinkles don't feel that great when you step on them. Or but, even uh, the clumps, the bottom roots of the grass will hurt a little yeah. bit barefoot. <laughs> they will, but uh, when you're, if you're wading, keep in mind how hard you're walking, um, especially if you're approaching a fish. Just soft steps, move slowly. Yep. Because, um, you know, these, these fish, they, they feel and hear a lot of things. So if you're just sloshing through the grass, then you're going to limit your chances of success. Definitely. So waiting is, I know a lot of these guys are kayak anglers and big boats, center consoles, things like that, that want to do this but can't pull it. Right. Just nose up and take your time. Definitely. Um, so, or if you really want the full experience, hire a guide that does it and have some fun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, let them cater to you for, for a flood tide. That's the way to do it. Well, that's I think I think that's good advice on the flood tide fishing. I don't think we need to go too much more into it, but I do want to give you the opportunity to kind of talk about what you do there um, in your area and some of the other sure. spring and summer fishing opportunities in case people are up there on vacation or want to come book a trip with you. Um, if Absolutely. You go into that a little bit. So basically anything in North Carolina is a year-round fishery. Um, redfish is what a lot of people do, and that is year-round. Um, these flood tides that we're talking about, that's a, a late spring, summer, early fall situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've gone through the conversations of wintertime fishing where it's clear, low-tide schools. Yep. So you have the opportunity to chase redfish year-round, which is phenomenal. You don't get these winter schools or tailing fish in too many places like we get them here. We are lucky in that aspect. Um, but, of course, you know, it's springtime now. Um, despite the weather today, the fishing's <laughs> been really good. Um, we've been out chasing some really pretty uh, bonito uh, near shore. The uh, springtime false albies have been strong, yeah. real strong. Um, I've been seeing a bunch of your posts. I know you've had some fun with them too. That's been good. We've caught, we've caught numerous 20 pounders. I mean, just big buffaloes out there. Y'all get the big, big, big ones. I'm like, Oh man, this one's 12 or 13 pounds. This one's a monster. And I see y'all post a picture and it's like 20 freaking pounder. But I was out with a, um, a captain buddy of mine a couple weeks ago, kind of when, you know, our spring run really was going hot and heavy. And we actually went out there to go chase bull drum off the surf and, we were watching these big groups of bull drum come up and feed and uh everything we threw in there from big giant bucktails to uh deadly dicks i mean just soft plastics anything we threw in the middle of the school of red drum and albie would come up and eat it it was (laughs) it was it was fun but you're like i don't want that albie i won't hit the edge red and it's funny that you get upset and you're like dang another 20 pound albacore like get off the rod (laughs) Yeah, and I'm, I'm, how long does it take to land a 20-pound albacore? I've never personally caught one that's above probably 17 pounds. You know, those big buffaloes, um, they behave a little bit differently, you know, just because they don't know that they're hooked right off the bat. Uh, it's just kind of weird. You're just pulling and pulling and pulling, and you get all that slack back on your reel, and then all of a sudden it's just, they're gone. Yeah. And for me, you know, if you're using the right gear, um, if you got the right weight rod whether it be fly or conventional right pound test or this and that you know you can get one of those buffaloes in in 10 minutes if you want to but let's if you can't land that fish in 20 minutes like hand that sucker off to somebody (laughs) (laughs) you don't need to be sitting there high sticking with your rod up in the air you need to you put the woods in a little bit yeah Um, it was it was funny that uh that last big one i caught when we were red fishing um he was fighting and fighting and fighting and you know they lay on their side and just kind of circle down deep you're like, man, this fish, I've been fighting him way too long. Like, I must have side-hooked him or something like that. And finally, he came up, and I was like, oh, snap, this is a big buffalo. Like, no wonder. <laughs> I was 
<laughs> no, most, most of the fish right now, they're, let's call it anywhere around that 10-pound range, but the big ones are definitely out there. Yeah. And you can go crush the Bonito first thing early in the morning, be done with that by 9 a.m., and then just go beat Albacore for the rest of the day. Yeah. Or go to schools of drum. Um, so that that's a fun springtime thing. Yeah. So fishing's great. <laughs> that's super cool. Yeah, I'm always so jealous of y'all's. I think what happens a lot is so you've got the shoals down at the Cape Fear River, and then you got Cape Lookout. So a lot of those bigger albacore, a lot of the cobia, and a lot of the bull redfish schools, as they're migrating north, just sneak tip to tip. You know, we've got to get out to that 15 mile range. Like even a lot of the albacore fishing I was doing lately, the consistent stuff was seven to ten miles off the beach. It wasn't. It wasn't right up on the beach. I was. I mean, you'd bump a school or two as you're running out, but I'm running seven to ten miles off the beach to get into that consistent schools of albies. Um, we've and, been on some. We've been on good albacore anywhere from right on the beach to where you know the sand people can stand out there and catch them on the beach, running those troughs between the sandbar and the beach, or you know, like you saying, you know, we can run. I mean, really, if I'm running ten miles out for an albacore. I'm going a long ways for us. Yeah, um, yeah. Get good albies, one to two miles, you know, because we're right up there at the Cape and that whole Cape lookout down towards Atlantic Beach area. It's great. Also right out here out of Bogue Inlet off Emerald Isle and all the way down to New River. I mean, it, it's great fishing. You don't have to go too far. Yeah, us. definitely. I think what it is is as that Cape kicks out, those fish are migrating in and they just kind of get pushed into the beach there. Yeah. So they're, they're just swimming a little further off down by us. And in the fall, it's the opposite. I mean, we'll have them right up on the beach because they're kind of, they're getting that same trap, but in the opposite direction. So Onslow Bay can screw you or help you out, depending upon the season and the fish. But, but um, and I, I tell you, most people, they think of albacore, uh, the false albacore is a fall fishery. Um, but don't neglect the springtime fishing for albacore. They're, no. they're great. They fight really well. They're way harder. Fish. Yeah. And, you know, they're on their way north. And when they come in the fall, they're on their way south and, I mean, it's it's really good game time fishing twice a year. Um, so, you know, these, these fish, hopefully they stick around for a little bit longer and we can have some more fun on them. And then we'll just wait for hopefully, you know, September-ish when they start to show up again. And then by yep. Halloween, it'll be lights out. Yep. It was uh, – did, did y'all have a – did they stick around for a while this past fall for y'all? Because down here, man, they were here like August and through mid-September, maybe the end of September, and just shut down. I mean, terrible fall fishing for them this past year. I wouldn't say I had an epic fall fishery um, with the albacore, but it was definitely real hot and heavy and then turned off. And what we dealt with last fall was, you know, popcorn albies, just quick up, down. Yeah. I, I got on a couple really good blitzes where they were up, but most of them, they were really shy fish last fall, um, which was a little different. You know, you got the, you can't just run and gun quite as hard as you normally want to. Um, but yeah, they were, they were a little bit pickier and last fall was a little different for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, is there anything else, uh, you, you, you spend time targeting up there that, that you'd want to talk about? You know, uh, it, it's kind of dependent on the season. Redfish of course is king for me. It's what I like to do. Um, you can get in that fall winter time, uh, speckled trout bite, you know, there ain't nothing better than the thump of a pepper snake. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's the fun. Thump of, course, of a pepper snake. That's right. Uh, spring and fall albacore when the summer comes we really love you know Spanish on fly are really fun I mean they're fun on anything really um, 
and I, I do mainly focus on fly fishing, but I'm not opposed to conventional gear by any means. Yeah. Um, You're but not light, a total light snob. No, no, no. I, I do prefer <laughs> light tackle over anything. Yeah, yeah I'm, <laughs> um, with I'm with you. Spanish is a real fun one. Of course, our summertime bull drum fishery is really good, um, and that's a real treat when we get to do that. Um, and they, they've stayed around for a long time this year, so we've been very happy with them. Heck yeah. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll go hit sheep's head and everything like that, too. Uh, black drum are really fun. Um, but, you know, it's mostly that skinny water flats fishing is what I'll prefer to do. Um, that's where I get the most joy out of sharing what I like to do, my passion for everything, and that's it, it's what I want to share with everybody else. Yeah, definitely. I think that's what people need in guides is someone who's passionate about their art and, and shares that passion with them. Um in a way that they can learn as, as well as just enjoy learn or as well as just enjoy fishing with them and, and, and taking something from that, that, uh, that trip and, and fly fishing, as everyone knows, it's not, you know, you're not sitting on the bottom of the Carolina rig. So, you know, no. it, it takes a lot of effort on the, on the client, on the angler's end. Um, you know, Perry and I can take you out and show you redfish, but the last little bit of, of uh, distance between you and the fish is all up to you. So practice it is. before you get on the water. It is, and you know, of course, we're here to help coach and encourage, um, and give you the best situation possible. So it's, I, I don't want to say it's all up to them, but it's up to them to catch, and that's that's what we're here for. That's what you do for a living. Is right. You teach people how to catch fish and enjoy the outdoors and have that experience of a lifetime, really. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's really just that passion of hey, you know, it's not just about filling the cooler. Yep. And I know there are people out there that that's what they want to do. And I'm cool with it, man. Hey, I filled the boat full of Benito the other day. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I had a great dinner for a couple of days. Yeah. But it's more about the overall experience for me and just the connection that you have with either one another, the client, guide, friends, family, the outdoors, nature. It's it's just being out there and a part of it all. I mean, fishing is a bonus, really. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's huge. I think I think it can be easy as a guide to get sucked into the the mundane, you know, work thought of it all, just like a normal job. But you got to remember, as a guide, like I remember, I forget who shared this with me, but you know, you're with these clients, a lot of them on probably their favorite day of the year. You know, they, they've mm-hmm. they've saved up, they've decided to pay for a fishing guide to take them fishing, which is their passion. They probably got their son with them or their daughter. Um, so making it a special time is something that I, I know Perry always tries to do as well as myself and, and a fun time on the water um, and being adaptable and, and willing to kind of change tactics or do what the fish need is, is, is always, always a bonus. So um, I think that uh, if you're in that area, Perry's a great op- option for y'all to, to hop on the water and go fish with. So definitely give him a, give him a look. I'm going to link all of his, uh, his social media platforms and your website and everything. Um, and the show notes for the podcast as well as on the YouTube video. But yeah, man, I appreciate it. I guess we kind of nailed the, the flood tide fishing and, and talked all about uh, North Carolina spring and summer fishing. So that was a well, good dude, show. Thank you. Uh, thank you a million for having me on, man. It was a great time catching up with you and getting to chit chat about something we both really enjoy. Yeah, for uh, sure. Hope, hope to see you on the water sometime, man. If you ever get a day off, let's get together. I mean, <laughs> got a bunch of days off coming up. So <laughs> I had a lot of canceled trips. We need to maybe try to put something together. They have, do they have ramps closed yeah, out by y'all? Uh, no, we're still open right now. Still wide open. You're um, rednecks up there, man. Crazy. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it'll be one of those things. We'll see how it goes. It's an unfortunate situation right now um, with the way things are going and cancellations like what you're having and a lot of guides are having too. Yeah. Um, 
I feel terrible for everyone, but just stay strong. Keep your head in there, guys. Everybody's going to come back and fish even harder. So I encourage you to just lay low, be smart, be safe, and let's get back to it here in the near future. Yep. I'm into it, man. Well, cool. I'm going to close her off. Thanks so much, brother. Um, Again, guys, thanks for checking out this episode. We are going to keep bringing good content like this to y'all on uh, the podcast platforms as well as YouTube. Uh, If you enjoyed it, we're stoked that you enjoyed it, and we'll see you in the next episode. Later.